2: That's the second time it has gone on. never got home, they never got home, they never got, got home, those those
3: guys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right.
2: lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs>
4: second captain, first captain, whatever. The Dublin footballers have Swashbuckled their way To an All-Ireland final Racking up ridiculous scores In the process And largely ignoring The more mundane aspects Of the game Such as defending Yeah But I'm going to sow the seed In today's programme And Ken no. This might not be A popular seed to sow Okay, okay. I'm going to stop the Seed sowing analogy now Okay I'm going to suggest That Dublin If needs be Rain it in on Sunday And I know Mayo Don't win All-Irelands That often But neither do we Murph, Neither so, do us Dubs can, like
2: Rain you. is a helpful thing For seeds <laughs> I said I'm ending that analogy. Yeah. Uh, look, as far I, I can only remember... If Jim it, Gavin
4: has to plug a few gaps, this is what I'm saying, plug those gaps. Let's win this thing.
2: Dublin have won two All-Irelands in my lifetime. And I'm pretty old now. Three, Ken. Three? You were born in
4: 1983, right?
2: 79.
4: No, but you were alive in 1983,
2: I mean. Oh, I can't remember
5: that one.
4: It was your lifetime, though. When okay. you were four years of age, yeah. you were alive. I thought, th- <laughs> you know, I mean... I can
5: remember. If we are going to sit here and nitpick then I suppose uh, yes, I was, I was alive, alive before. In, when
2: I, I can was four. I can remember too, and it's not enough. No, and uh, I don't care about the suffering of Mayo. I want it to go on, <laughs> and uh, and that's that's the way that I feel about Sunday.
5: Well, hold on a second here. I mean, if I I would say that if you are going to try and make an argument for people to start supporting the Dubs, you should say, well, listen, we're single-handedly saving the game here. But what you are actually saying here today is not alone do I want Dublin to win, I also want Dublin to start playing like all of the really defensive teams that have been playing recently. Oh, uh, no. oh no, I'm
4: not saying that. I'm just saying, oh, I, oh, I don't mind if that's how it has to happen. No, d- come on. If we just swash that buckle a little less, Murph, I'd be happy no. enough with
5: that. Listen, buckle he's, that swash. they've got the courage of their <laughs> convictions. <laughs> what a swash buckle <laughs> mean. I have no idea. It's, a, it's to use do use it Ar- in, in sporting. something to do with
2: pirates. It's something to do with Errol Flynn, and not par- entirely reputable actor of days gone by. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, you know he I'll wasn't have,
5: incorrib- incorrigible old man, wasn't he?
2: I'm Earl pretty, Flynn. I'm pretty confident um, that Dublin are going to do it uh, because they're just better. So
4: that's my input. That's pretty good, pretty good input. All right, Ushi McConville and Ross Collins, Carl Mannion are going to be in studio shortly. We will get the latest from Donegal regarding Jim McGuinness and his backroom team. Do you want to roll back in that Ken? You're looking a bit perplexed there.
5: No, he thinks Dublin are going to win, and he's already he's put that on on the record, right? Okay. That's, that's that.
4: We'll also be talking about the massive story that threatens the very future of European rugby.
5: Oh, yeah, I know. I, I saw mm-hmm. that photograph of Manu Tuilagi doing the, the bunny ears <laughs> by David Cameron. Not I mean, that one, not right? Well, that's the big story, surely. Yeah. Apparently it
4: is. It's a massive deal over in the UK. It's well, yeah, I mean, there was some of the reactions to it were, were
2: funny. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I saw David Cameron himself sort of said, oh, you know, I know it was just a bit of lighthearted, fun, Manu, no hard feelings, David Cameron would have been absolutely steaming about yeah. that. There is nothing so offensive to power as ridicule like that, especially for David Cameron who, you know, despite his, you know, uh, aristocratic origins and life of pampered privilege, is still not still has an ancestral fear of a jock like Manu Tuilagi. <laughs> you know, who is possibly one of the top 10 jocks. In the entire he's United huge, Kingdom, yeah, he's he's very, very big jock. And there's something, there's something in David Cameron, I'm sure, that recognised that. And then when he saw those little bunny ears, I mean, Matt Dawson's reaction. Oh, well, Matt Dawson said, "Oh, you know, I can't believe this bunny ears just shows that the person you're doing the bunny it, it, or the <laughs> bunny is more famous than you."
4: Yeah, Matt Dawson chose to take. Umbridge and anyone who has ever done the bunny ear, yeah, kind of sounds to
2: me
5: yeah. like Matt Dawson is a short man. Yeah, uh, to which this has happened. Martin yeah, Johnson is constantly just yeah. over his I'd head. I'd say yeah,
2: I'd say sixty to sixty-five percent of all the photos <laughs> of Matt Dawson, he's got bunny ears in them. Yeah. So it's his even, way of it really
4: killed him that time that. that even Little Austin Healy managed <laughs> to get high enough to get bunny yes. ears over him. Come on, like you know, I mean. Anyway, know, Murph, we're talking about the Heineken Cup. Uh, oh. the, fu- the future of the most important competition. Okay, well, if you want to go that way we're European it, Club Rugby fine. with Liam Toland and Chris Hewitt of The Independent in London. Thanks very much for all the kind words regarding our TV show last night. We had a great time doing it. Still reeling, I must say, though. Still, I woke up this morning and I, the, my first thought was, did Sonia O'Sullivan really dump Padraig Harrington out of the top 10 Irish players <laughs> Some of all the time?
5: coldest, coldest, coldest <laughs> manoeuvres.
2: She didn't ever... hesitate at all. No. no. And she, I, I, she, knew, she knew what she was going And to I to
4: must say, it. my only concern with the Goodwall concept was... That people might be that big name sports people like Ron Nogara and Sonia O'Sullivan might be a bit reluctant to take anybody out. They might yeah. there might be a political game to play there, yeah. or no. they might just be too nice to do it. Uh, apparently
6: it's
5: quite not. not a no. and Poor Carrington both demoted. One demoted, the other dumped. Yeah. Inside the first two weeks of the concept, which is quite interesting. But I mean, I did see uh, Shane Larry was uh, uh, the the Irish pro pro golfer Shane Larry is very upset about the whole thing. Yeah, and was, was actually that. tweeting mm-hmm. about it last night. Uh, that it, was, it was saying that it was a disgrace. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, 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 I like that people are getting so involved in the whole Good Wall concept, but uh, we should keep in mind that just underneath those ten photographs, there is a vital album called Pope John Paul II. Have you listened to that album? Not, not all the way through. It's
2: th- it starts off with some sort of Gregorian chant and stuff. Yeah, this is only 1979, you know.
4: I know it's it's, it's pretty strange. <sighs> I, for one encourage Shane Lowry and any other uh, professional or amateur Irish sports people to get involved in this and if they want to back their men and their women then yeah completely season. I mean you know if anyone
5: out there wants to launch a costly and expen- uh, costly and expensive and expansive PR campaign for their favourite sportsman then I say go for it
4: we are joined in studio now by Carl Mannion and a very brave Oshie McConville Murphy who's uh, shown his face I
5: just, I, I'd like to congratulate you for showing your face after that horrendous beating I gave you last night on national television
7: yeah, I just, I can't believe that we didn't go to the retro superstar. Yeah, well, you know, time it's Live allowed in Shane place, Live so. TV. Yeah, because I was sort of reliant on that. <laughs> well, over, <listen>. over reliant on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, listen, you know, I'm, I'm sure
5: we'll we'll have a time again, maybe in another medium. You know?
4: Carl, you must have been happy enough with the Roscommon presentation.
1: Yeah, it was like the Roscommon edition of second captain's life. I <laughs> yeah, had to be very happy with it. And uh, Shane, Chris O'Dowd, Liam obviously was connections for Ruscoman, Yeah, So more than the better. Did you ever come across
4: Chris O'Dowd as a footballer? Uh,
1: yeah, underage, minors, under 16s, either play midfield for Boyle right eight. And uh, always the big guy on the other team, you know, that just, just, they lamped the ball out. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, no, Chris wouldn't have been uh, known for like being a very, very skillful player, but he was a big, strong guy. And yeah. uh, it was surprising, actually, to see him end up in goal for Scott and Myers at the time. Like, cause, uh, so he wasn't the goalkeeper. You, you, you would have known yeah. him as a midfielder. Yeah, midfielder, yeah. all right, yeah. So obviously he just got, got converted that year. And uh, just when I saw the clips there last night, yeah. like, I remember Chris Swozy having a big, long kick-out. <laughs> Some of them attempts <laughs> yeah. were horrible. Yeah, the technique
5: was a little lacking there, all right, it's true. Yeah. The bandages, do I think made up for just It's yeah, all around yeah. yeah. here, so <laughs> it's pretty funny.
4: Oshin. We know all about this Dublin attacking philosophy, but I'm going to put I'm going to put you in Jim Gavin's shoes here. You're on the sideline. You're four points ahead. There are ten minutes to go. You see Jack McCaffrey about to hair up the field, leave you know cheat a little bit on his half forward. Do you shout at him to get back there and bring some other forwards with him as well?
7: No, I think uh, Jim Gavin's style is look. We're out to have a go. He's made that obvious from the very first moment he took the team over. Um, he's he's uh, instilled a lot of confidence in this team this this team actually looked last year when they played in the, in the semi-final they looked like a team that maybe that maybe were lacking a little bit you know confidence wise and maybe didn't have the belief to go on ahead and achieve what they wanted to achieve but under Jim Gavin he's just said listen boys you know we're the, we've got the best players in the country let's just go out and play and that sounds like a very simplified version of what he's doing. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of method in, in what Dublin do, and, and probably they don't get enough credit because they're Dublin, you know, and we always like to pick holes in Dublin. And they won the last day by seven points, and, and, you know, I suppose they won by seven points the last day, you know, not really having played that well, which probably tells you just exactly how good this team are. Um, But could they.
4: Remember the semi final a couple of years ago where Donegal. Probably should have beaten yeah. Dublin. They absolutely flummoxed them. Dublin didn't know how to break them down. Yeah. And if Donegal had actually just changed tack a little bit, yeah. they could have driven it home and won that match. Could there be almost a reverse there for Dublin where they play a certain way, which is a very attacking way, for 60 minutes, and what uh, they, they get a lead, then they just funnel back and defend? And nobody's got to really criticise them for defending a lead with 10 minutes ago in an All-Ireland final.
7: Nobody's going to criticise them, but you know you have to ask yourself the question, when you've played like this, under Jim Gavin for whatever amount of months nine, eight nine months at this stage, you know, can you change tack like that? You know, is it is it very is that a very simple thing to do? If you're not defensively minded, you know, can you do that? I don't think it would actually suit this uh, Dublin team to play defensively. I think the best form of defence in their in their case is attack. And I think we've seen the last day. I think McCaffrey struggled. I know he's only 19 years of age. McCaffrey struggled. Jared Brennan struggled, and McCarthy struggled big time in the half back line. Uh, they look good going forward, but whenever you give them something to do, which I think Mayo will, you know, they don't look as hot to be honest. Now, uh, what they give you going forward is, you know, is massive t- to the Dublin outfit because they bring all the pl- uh, players into the game. Uh, i like to see Brennan when he drops off a little bit because when Brennan drops off and he plays in front of his full back line, I think Dublin look like a more solid unit. Don't Dublin look as if they're e- as easy to break down. But when Joe Brennan went man to man and Colin Cooper the last day, Dublin were up and up continuously by, um, by Cooper's just, I you know he's a genius. But, but if he
4: drops off and drops back to essentially stand in front of the fullback. Do you have to bring somebody else then to mark the centre half forward? Or are you saying just leave that person Dennis free plastic, to roam out of it? does he? But that 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 becomes defensive then, though. Then you're
7: then you're talking about funneling guys back. I, I know it, I know. It becomes defensive, but all I'm saying is that Joe Brennan doesn't suit. If you're going to play Jarren and the center half back, then I think you got to drop him off. He's not a man marker. He he gets if he if he is matched up with like say uh, Keith Higgins. I mean, for me, that's not a match up that's going to work out well for Dublin. Whereas if Joe Brennan drops off, if Keanu Sullivan drops back in and plays in front of, of Keith Higgins, maybe cuts down the space. But it's all about the space in front of that full uh, in front of that full back line. Uh, Alan Freeman had huge success just playing in that little hole in round the D. Every score he got was just in round the D the last day. And I think that's something that Dublin probably need to protect, is just round that D area. But I just think the half back line malfunctioned the last day. I think that's something that Jim Galvin. W- as much as he wants to just be attacking and he wants to go out and he wants the boys to express himself and he makes that point clear all the time, he's gotta be thinking, you know, ah, we I need to do something with my half back because we were we were porous the last time.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think the Mayo probably looking at that kind of a tactic with Joe Brennan, they probably want Joe Brennan to play six. They want to match up Alan Dillon in the half forward line. Uh I don't think they want to move Alan Dillon closer to the goal. So they want they obviously going, they're obviously going to start him but they want him in the half forward line and the only person you can match him up to there is Joe Brennan. Otherwise, he's only going back to pitch, which you don't want Alan Dillon as your main playmaker doing. So, like, the Jar Brennan thing is going to be a big call for Dublin, whether they bring Keane Sullivan back and bring him Bastic, or whether they play Jar Brennan. But uh, I think Mayo, looking in, they want Jar Brennan there at six. Is this something that's just, the Jar Brennan thing, I mean, he's been kind of a stalwart of the team for a few years. Is this something that's
4: just popped up? Uh, it seems funny now that he was just really exposed in one game, to, and he seems to be getting a lot yeah, of stick. To give him a bit of
1: credit now, he's, he's a good kind of forest there for everyone around him. He kind of... He links together a lot coming out of defence. He's very strong in the ball, rarely gives it away, drives forward very well. But I suppose when he was exposed the last Lacks day. that's a bit of pace. Well, I wouldn't say pace. It's more just the cuteness that Colin Cooper had, the skill he had, the kind of, the general know-how he is how to play the game that other kind of creative centre-forwards do. I just don't think Joe Brennan is a man-marker centre-back. He's more of a kind of a maybe a Kieran McGeaney, yeah. Francie Graham from his common kind of centre-back, he's going to bring everyone together and be the driving force of the team, which he has been brilliant at doing for Dublin. Yeah. It's just the man-marking side of I, it.
7: I think he still he gives you plenty. Yeah. You know, he gives you plenty, but in a certain role, I think when you when you push him out the field, you make him uh, into a man-marker or something, and he's not. Yeah, because
1: like if they do go with Keith Higgins at centre-forward and he starts dropping back in behind midfield, that could actually suit Joe Brennan well. Carl, the point that ushin made there that Dublin
4: aren't probably aren't getting enough credit because they're Dublin. And maybe Jim Gavin himself isn't getting enough credit for what he's doing because when Dublin do well, Mm. everyone says, well, of course they should do well. There's more than a million people living in the county. What do you think?
1: Yeah, well, I think that obviously just kind of the, the skewed view that everyone has of Dublin because they get all the media profile uh, everyone's always talking about them every year, they're all Ireland favourites, that when they actually start doing well, they don't get the credit they deserve because of all that overhype uh, that's out there about them. In fairness, the last day, like, it was probably the first time like everyone kind of kind of in one way wants to see Dublin getting beaten. Like they're the Man United, they're the New York Yankees of GEA. Everyone's kinda happy to see them get beaten. But after that Kerry game, like you just had to stand up like and applaud them. Like the way they went at that game, it was just like kind of like, they went for the glory of the win mm-hmm. rather than like, kind of being arrogant, a uh, bit, bit like, kind of lacking personality in the way they played. They just went for that win and everything they carried through with them, they kept coming back, they kept coming back. And like, to use one analogy, like, Bernard Dunn has come in this year, like, and if you think that he's obviously going to be adding things to their lifestyle and their general outlook on the game, uh, if you think of the Ricor- Ricardo Cordoba fight, like, yeah, how many times during that fight did he think I'm getting beaten there? Mm. But he just kept coming back. There's a chance I'm going to get i ch- I'm going to get something there. He kept coming back. He kept coming back, and like the glory, like that he had that night in winning that fight and the way he did it. That's what Dublin had the last end. Like you had to admire them. Bring match. back
4: very good memories there. Yeah. we at the at what the of fight the that night.
5: Regrets. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I I think it's uh, very interesting that if you t- take it back two years to that semi-final game that you referenced earlier on, the dublin Goal game, or take it back even six months to Congress and basically the whole uh, of the GA sitting down talking about how you know the, the whole sport is in real crisis. And for Dublin to go to an All-Iron final averaging two goals and 18 points a game, the vast majority of that from play, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a sea change really, isn't
7: it? Yeah, it's a complete sea change. And I think you know the big thing is that when we watched uh, Donegal win the All-Iron last year, I wasn't sure if a team could actually win an All Ireland again just playing open and expressive football. I thought, you know, the only way to match these is to, you know, is to go toe to toe with them. And I think there's teams out there who could do that. And and actually, the funny thing is that I think Dublin are one of those teams because they have those players, they have that athleticism, uh, you have that work rate, the fitness, you know, the conditioning, you know, everything else. And I think. you know, I thought Dublin were one of those teams if if Jim Gavin comes in he can get them into a you know into a, a real defensive mo- well not a really defensive mode, but a defensive mode that can cope with the likes of Donegal and they can learn to to break down defenses. You know, 'cause they they were as you say, they were poor at doing that. But uh, to come out and play the play the way they have it takes a lot of guts I think I think, that's, I think that's the first thing It takes a lot of guts For a manager to come in And play the way he's played A cousin of mine from Mayo Says that he's worried About this game Largely because of
4: Gavin's serenity in the bench Which he says is intimidating yeah. He looks quite calm As madness is descending
1: around him Yeah complete confidence In what he's putting out On the pitch there Whoever he's putting in Like just complete confidence In the players out there Like it's interesting Just when Oshin says Like about the He they might have had to adapt it To come up against Defensive teams Like I think He had to be thinking That if Donegal Are still playing To the level They were playing at last year And he met them this year I don't think he could have played the way he's playing now with the team I think there's like Mayo aren't going to sit up like Donegal uh, Corkton and uh, Nairly Kerry so I, I I would have thought that he would have had something in his armoury that if he came up against Donegal playing that defensive system he'd have had to tweak it a small bit yeah. but it's never happened from now and he's playing against teams that are playing open so it's it's suiting perfect the way he wants to play The
4: Dublin bench is something that's been talked about quite a lot I, I'm quite interested in that kind of the role that Kevin McManaman has perfected as a, an impact substitute—the last thing that most players want to be—and Dean Rock is doing it possibly even more effectively this year.
5: Dean Rock has scored uh, ten points, eight from play, in seventy minutes of football. Yeah, he comes on. He comes really on impressive. for twenty minutes. He
4: scores two points, and yeah. it's been guaranteed so far. Mm-hmm. Should those guys not actually be starting, seeing as they're doing so yeah. well? We, we saw it
5: with the Limerick hurlers actually that they they had a strong bench, and everyone was talking about how you know it gives them a, so, a little something extra coming in the last twenty minutes, and then he caught up with them big time yeah. in the semi-final against Clare. Uh, the,
7: the thing about that is that you get yourself a name of making an impact off the bench. <laughs> There's players who make an impact off the bench. And whenever you start making an impact, you're in dangerous territory because uh, people say, well, Izzy is he as good when he, when he start him? And what happens there is you he, he may get one start. Like, McMenamin's got one start. You know, nah, he doesn't look that good today. You know, he hasn't really... Uh, express themselves that well there's, and there's he no ha-
5: other reason for that other than yeah, he started the game exactly maybe the other, team yeah. isn't playing well yeah, yeah,
7: and yeah. then after 50 minutes he's brought off whereas when he comes in the game's broken up it absolutely suits Kevin McManaman down to the ground when you, when you analyse the, te- the periods of time that Kevin McManaman has come on and made an impact when Kevin McManaman comes on first thing is he's, he doesn't have any uh, there's no onus on him to pick up a man all he has to do is pick up a little bit of break ball. He's just he's put in there, he's putting a certain area, he said go play, have an effect on the game, uh, get in around a little bit of breaking ball, which he's very, very good at. Mm. But if you watched him the last day, no interest in breaking ball whatsoever. The only thing he had interest in was breaking towards the goals and getting that little bit of easy ball, he got it, head yeah, towards the goal The goal was the
4: best example I've ever seen yeah. of that, where he just lets his defender, was a Tommaso Shea, yeah. go and attack the ball. And if... O'Shea had won that ball yeah. McManaman would have looked a bit lazy actually <laughs> and, then it, yeah, it's, and it was the right th- thing th- to the do The people come up
1: against like Kevin in that full far line, or that uh, Dublin far line there's so many options there like that if they don't start him it's not as if they're kind of replacing him then with someone that's not as good as him like yeah, Gilroy did actually play him last year after he would have scored sure. the goal in the, in the carryall carry Ireland final Yeah, and gave him his chance and played him against three or four games I think and just didn't work out to the level that he had, was doing when he came on so I think obviously Gavin sees that I've got other lads who are as good as Ke- uh, Kevin McManaman I'm going to start with them Kevin do more for me coming on and the thing about Dean Rock is as well like, it's probably only his first year or two in there, in the panel where he's playing at that level so he's just probably not getting the benefit of the doubt just yet so say for example he does come in the next day and scores two or three points I'm going to, I'd am gonna say you're going to see Dean Rock start next year for Dublin and give him that chance Yeah,
4: yeah it could well do The Mayo team um, aside from the Killian O'Connor injury Uh, situation I think he's going to be okay certainly all indications are that that's the case Andy Moore has been talked about quite a lot this year amazing story that he's back playing having had the cruciate last year he's not playing well though and I think by his own admission he he hasn't been firing on all cylinders in a situation like that how important is it to pick a guy who you know has done it for you consistently in the past and also a guy who Seems to be so respected by his teammates. Is that is that status enough to put a guy in, even if you're James Horne and you might have some doubts about how he's played up to it?
1: Yeah, obviously. First of all, it depends a lot on how he's reacted since the semi final and how he has pushed on. But then, yeah, the, the big point is that he's captain Mayo. Like he's one of the he's probably the most respected player in Mayo. He's so respected around Connacht and in the rest of Ireland for mm-hmm. being a figurehead for that Mayo team. Obviously, all the young lads are going to look to him as well. So, like for James Horn like to make the decision to drop him. And then for the likes of Alan Freeman uh, or Ender Varley or Carl Carden to look around and see Andy Moore on the bench and them not playing. It's probably a little bit disconcerting No in fairness. They might throw the bit of spanner in like their kind of cohesiveness up front just a general sense of confidence when they get the ball in there. Yeah, like if they see Andy Moore and getting on a couple of balls and just kind of laying them off and not doing much more even that is a really? massive confidence booster for that forward line I think on Sunday. On Sunday.
7: Yeah, I think he's a steadying influence. He's, he's an experienced player. He's, he's a player who's played in absolutely massive games. I actually think he 's got better as the season went on i i, I don 't have a major problem with the way he 's played to be honest i think he's he's had a he 's had an effect he 's always uh, he 's always tricky a tricky uh, a tricky player to pick up you know from a defensive point of view. Okay, he mightn't be playing up to standard, but you don't know that. You You don't know when he's going to burst into life. You've know you got to give him as much attention as you give the likes of Killing O'Connor, Freeman, all those boys. And I think going into this game on Sunday, he definitely play, he'll definitely start. And there may not be that much focus on him going into the All-Ireland Final. And that might suit him. Could have him. an absolute storm. Exactly, that, that might suit him. And, and he looks like a player to me who is coming to the boil nicely. And uh, I expect him to have a massive game. Yeah, funny, you know, I, I,
5: I, I was cu- quite close to him, particularly in the first half, just did my seats in the stand, uh, of the semi-final against Tyrone. And it kind of seemed to me like he was very anxious to stay very close to goal. And really what, what Andy's ga- game, I think what he's best at, is just getting on the ball and having mm. an influence. Yeah. And I think maybe he might have been told to just try and stay as close to goal as possible. And when Tyrone were funneling guys back, I think he was kind of just crowded out of the game. I, I, th- and then in the second half he seemed a little anxious because it hadn't been going his way. But I, I wouldn't be too worried about him either. I yeah, think the
1: one thing like that he has always brought to that uh, Mayo forward line is the ability to win that ball, yeah. and that's the one yeah. thing that maybe he hasn't been that sharp on in the last couple of games. He has spilled a few balls. Like I remember we played them in a kind of final in 2011. In, like it was an unbelievable day for rain and wind, and like yeah. he was brilliant for them against the wind because he just won ball and he got everyone moving forward and the momentum into that forward line. And like that's the thing that he has to be getting sharp on the next day if he doesn't score. No. No harm, but if he wins like yeah. four or five tough balls first half and then obviously second half when the game is in the fire, if he's winning ball there, that's gonna be massive for
7: me. I think it's important for him for his own confidence that he wins a couple of balls, pops them off to some to a runner going by and that brings him into the game and you know, and then he can maybe try something, you know, that he's that he's been used to doing for years.
4: We were talking to Mike Finity of Mayo News on Tuesday's show and he was saying that James Horner's has obviously looked at Dublin and may do something a little bit different It was, will tweak Mayo's game plan somewhat but would you be a bit worried if he went too far down that road because what Mayo have done so far has been fairly exceptional this season
1: Yeah I, I think he's just played the same way the whole season long uh, they've executed the game plan pretty w- very good on, on nearly every game the one thing I think he has to be conscious of is the start like uh, the last three all-Ireland finals Mayo in the start they've got has been terrible one of them was when he was manager, so I think early on it's that's the big call from what does he do early on to make sure that Dublin don't get a fast start. And this is a, a tactical thing, is it? Because everybody
4: analyzes Mayo's it psyche would, and all that, but we're talking just get it tactically yeah, right. Yeah, it
1: would have to be. In fairness, so he has to protect against a tactically like the psyche thing you can work on, but it's no guarantee that's going to work on the day. So like it's it's a question of whether he's asking. Someone from the half back line just to be cheating a bit and dropping back in front of the full back line, whether he's asking one of his midfielders just to be dropping off a little bit, uh, it's a tough call from it's something that I think they really have to protect Because if if Mayo uh, do concede a couple of early goals again, you just know like the way they could react. They might not be able to bridge that six. Yeah, and they, uh, they
4: actually reacted okay last year, but it's just a it's a numbers game at that stage. Mm-hmm. If you have six points to make up, you're you're on
7: a bit of a hiding He control. needs to get his matchups right. You know, yeah. that's the first thing. He needs to get his matchups, in particular in that full back line. I know Jared Caffery's come in for a little bit of stick, but I, again, I I actually I like him as a player. Um, I think he he's probably perfect for Bernard Brogan. Uh, he's he's physically strong. Uh, he's somebody has a good
5: record against Brogan as well. You know, I think we'll fancy it against Brogan.
7: Yeah, and I think that's you know that's exactly why I think he's a player we always talk about forwards or confidence players, but defenders, you know, like a bit of confidence about them as well. If they've done well on somebody before, that's in your head. If you're a forward going into a match, that's in your head. Like, so, like, so Kaffer, you know, he needs to have a, he needs to have a massive game for them in order you know, for Mayo to stay in the game because yeah. Brogan's been sort of simmering. You know, he's been, like, he's just been, just, not quite there, but the last day he kicked a couple of points in particular when they were under the pressure. That you know shows that you know he's he's really up for it too.
1: Yeah, and the other big aspect, obviously, of that is whether he moves Keith Higgins back to cornerback and to pick up Brogan or maybe Mannion. That could be a, that could be a big call from as well. He mightn't be uh, getting what he needs from Keith Higgins at an all Ireland final pitch of a game at centre forward. He probably will need his defensive capabilities.
4: Let's stop you there for a second. I do just want to get a little bit of an update on the big story this week that's, that's kind of rumbling along well more than rumbling along because Rory Gallagher and a couple of the other members of the backroom team in Donegal um, are gone we're not sure exactly why but Michael Daly is the editor of the Donegal Democrat who joins us now Michael cheers for chatting to us uh, what, what's the background to this or how much is actually known about um, the circumstances surrounding the story
0: not an awful lot, to be honest with you. Um, um, I, I don't have the facts, and we were very careful to point that out today. Unfortunately, we wish we could give you the inside mm. story. But uh, since the uh, press release was issued by the county board, uh, like neither side, Rory Gallagher, we've attempted to contact at Jim McGinnis. Nobody's talking. So, uh, Is that uh,
4: strange in itself, Michael, that the, you, normally if something like this happens, it's once it's actually done and, and in the public domain, you would think that, people, that, that somebody would be talking about it?
0: well I, I i could only would to be talking if they were happy yeah. and, and clearly they're not uh clearly uh one side of this and I, and I could only assume that the side that wouldn't be happy possibly is uh, Rory gallagher trailer maxi card uh because um uh it it would have it certainly would have appeared to be earlier in the weekend that there was no issue that the the question was uh whether Jim giddes would continue on and um I stand to be corrected on this, but I actually think he said on local radio over the weekend at one stage that, you know, things wouldn't change. And whatever happened in the meantime in relation to perhaps, we can again only surmise him coming back to his team and saying, okay, this is, this is basically the deal. This is what's been agreed in terms of fixtures and everything else. And, I, and I'm purely in the world of conjecture here, but, uh, colleagues, uh, myself working on this, we, we would feel that, uh, we're not a million miles away from the truth that, that obviously somebody somewhere felt no, you know, not happy, uh, don't agree to this. And, uh, um these people are strong characters. And it, it would appear that in, in the end, Jim said, well, it's, it's my way or the highway. So it, it looks like there was a, a separation there. So to answer your question more directly, I, I, I think what may happen in due course. You or some other colleague may well, in three months' time, or it might be one of our reporters, may well get a clearer picture of this. But for the moment, nobody's uh, saying a word.
4: Is it a bit clearer the impact this might have, Michael? We know Rory Gallagher is very important in there, uh, and I'm sure the other two members of the backroom team would have been very trusted by Jim McGuinness over the last couple of seasons. Now McGuinness is, I guess, starting from scratch to a certain extent. Is this going Is there a worry that this is going to be pretty derailing for Donegal footballers?
0: Well, we've been here before, as I should know in particular, where we um, you know, we win well, but we lose badly, and um, there have been a few things over the summer uh, since really the, the wheels came off and particularly against Mayo, where you know you would look back and say um, you know, maybe the eye was taken off the ball, and i and, and I was reading Eugene McGee today, maybe the pressure of being all-Ireland all, all champions and keeping the thing going well, players who just weren't physically fit to play, but my view on this is that um, it's, it's a mess it's a messy way of doing it but I, I think either the manager had to go I mean he has one year left or the backroom team had to go I think he needs to freshen it up and that's no reflection either way on Rory Gall or Maxi Korn or anybody else um, and, and it may well be that uh, kind of inadvertently the right decision has been made uh, because my, my own sense of this is that uh, Jimmy Guinness in, uh, initially did not intend to lose Rory Gallagher, Maxi Card, or anybody else. Mm. And, and perhaps, you know, when the dust settles on this, it may well be that fresh new voices are needed in that dressing room because uh, people can get very comfortable. And um, Arsene might enjoy this story, but uh, mm. Joyce McMullen, uh, uh, 1982 star won't make me say this. He works with us in the Democrat. Indeed, as does David Walsh, who's on the current that they call, uh Parrel. Uh, they're both uh, commercial wrestlers But but I remember Joyce joking with me one time in the years after 1982 that it was harder to get off the Donegal team mm-hmm. than it was to get on it. Uh, it there, was, there was a kind of a loyalty thing. And, and I'm not so sure, uh, you know, would that prevail with with, with Jim McGuinness. But, you know, he shoved himself in the, in the past. Not to be like Brian McAfee, not to be like the others. I mean, he, 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 can't like, I mean, the Cassidy thing, for example, is a, is a perfect example of it where, uh, you know, he took a star and, uh, he said, no, don't agree what you did with Declan Bogue. You're gone. And, uh, he, he's ruthless. So maybe he is different. So I would say to you in a roundabout way that while it's messy now, uh, and here we go again, uh, sort of Donegal washing their dirty linen in public. And people like you regularly ask me what's going on, and I mean, the newspapers are full of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe it might, in, in a curious way, it might, out- might work well in the end, because I'm not so sure if the parting could have been amicable.
4: Okay. Listen, Michael, we'll leave it there. Not, not quite as happy as this time last year for Donegal Football, but it's uh, great to talk to you. Thanks very much.
0: Not at all. Thank you.
4: Not quite as good when they're losing, Oisin, in Donegal. Um, pretty pretty interesting stuff from Michael
7: there. Yes. Almost sounds like a mirror image of Armagh at times. But uh, <laughs> uh, the thing, the only thing I would say about all this is that the only source that I have spoken to has told me that McGuinness was amazed by the fact that the boys have stepped aside. So so you yeah, feel that's that it, the version that I'm here. Right. So I feel that... Uh, there's obviously a breakdown in relations somewhere along the way. I think one of the things that, that I would point to is that Roy Gallagher picked up a lot of the slack last year when McGuinness went to uh, went to Celtic. Um th- some of the buzzwords that were coming out of Donegal last year was uh, Jim McGuinness is still the main man here. He still hasn't missed a session. Uh, this was all through the this was all through the summer, and then all of a sudden they're beaten. Well, what do you expect? Jim McGuinness wasn't here, you know, half the time. You know, uh, Rory Gallagher was looking after things. You know, if you're, if you're, if, if one man's in Glasgow and the other the other man's in, in Donegal, if a player needs to be talked to or something needs to be done on the ground, it was Rory Gallagher who was picking up the slack. Maybe he got fed up doing that, or maybe he didn't feel as if he was he was uh, getting rewarded, or or as highly thought of as maybe he should be considering that. You know, he seemed to be doing most of the work last year.
4: Yeah. Okay. Carol, just want to get back to the game and ask you two questions. Both of you, two questions. Firstly, who do you want to win on Sunday?
1: Yeah, I, w- I want Mayo to win. Really do. Like, yeah, it'll be, uh, like, if I've played against them plenty of times, you know, plenty of their players. Like, it'll be, uh, I really, really hope they win. Like, they're they are a good bunch of players. They're so dedicated. You can tell from looking at, looking from the outside. Uh, my dad's a Mayo man. I'd love to see <laughs> <laughs> I was
4: going to ask, is, does local rivalry come into it? But if your dad's a Mayo man, I'm going against the
7: All no Ireland stage. Yeah, it should sure. be great to see them do it.
4: Oisin, who do you want to win?
7: Yeah I've been saying, same I love to see Mayo do it I think you know they've been hurt so many times they have uh, oh my god they've went to the they've went to the wild well so many times and, and been so disappointed and last year even just t- to look at Mayo fans after 10-15 minutes you just you felt you know so sorry for them and I suppose it's easy because there's the dubs and nobody you know outside of Dublin wants to see Dublin win in All-Ireland and you know the thing is that Dublin have brought so much to the to the to the party this year it's been unbelievable what they've done and I think they have created a new aura and a new era in football and they deserve a lot of credit for that but who do I want to win I want Mayo to win because I just I love to see them get over the lane
4: Murph who do you want to win oh I want to see Mayo to, don't even look at me like that I, I want Mayo to win of course <laughs> I do Murph this beautiful city of mine has given you a, given <laughs> yeah. you a great
5: living
1: You know, taking giving, me in taking, taking me under it it's in, wing under it's I'm bosom sorry, yeah. and all the rest of
4: it uh, no, it's it's Mayo
5: for me, mm. uh, Owen. I'm sorry.
4: Who's going to win,
1: Yeah, I think Mayo will win as well. Uh, if you look at the semi-final last year and how the two teams have progressed since then, I think Mayo have moved on an awful lot since the semi-final last year. I don't think Dublin have moved on as much. Uh, I think Aidan O'Shea now being a 70-minute midfielder uh, and dominating the middle for the whole game, whereas last year McCauley controlled the last 20 minutes of that game. I think that's going to be massive for Mayo. They're going to have about 60-65% possession uh, because of that and I think they're going to have enough ball then to score enough well you
4: told yeah. us last night that it was going to be Mayo I
7: presume you haven't changed your no, mind, that changed year, my so. mind. <laughs> 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 nobody's talking me out of it but uh, I just think you know again what Carl says about just the mid- midfield area I think Dublin have sort of every game you watch Dublin you think today's going to be the day where you know they're going to get cleaned out of the middle of the field and they're coming up against a, a, a real powerhouse with the, with the two shares of the weekend I think they'll win enough uh, primary recession and they kicked a lot of wides against against them, but I think it'll be different because uh, Dublin won't be set up the same way. I think they'll get better opportunities in round the D and uh, Freeman, Dillon, and and, uh, and and these boy and Morn as well. I expect him to have a massive game, but I just think Mayo just to get there by a point and and end all the hurt. As <laughs> yeah. well, who do you want to win, and who
4: do you think will win? I want Dublin to win only marginally more. As a, a like <laughs> to win. I mean, in fairness, in the I country
5: thought, you're listening uh, is listening it here, all. I mean, why 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 would I, I do? Be sure to I though.
4: think Dublin will win. Do you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's good conviction. That's all you ask of a pundit, really. <laughs> it's just total conviction. Oshie McConville and Carol Mannion,
6: thanks so much for coming in.
4: Enjoy the game. Thank
7: thanks. sure that's the question that's going to be
6: asked. tonight. Tonight. So no. Come here tonight, tonight, into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight, their team is better set up tonight. Tonight, but they just the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight,
2: Second Captains Football, available on IrishTimes.com, Second Captains, and iTunes from 6 p.m. tonight. Tonight,
6: tonight, 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 tonight. tonight
4: really good stuff. I'm actually getting more and more nervous about Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. I'm getting that nervous tension, Ken. Yeah. I don't know why I'm not playing, but Yeah, I know it is it's kind of sometimes. weird,
5: but I think uh, I think when your county is involved in an All-Ireland final, there's kind of a low-grade worry that you that just kind of comes over you for the kind of week beforehand. Yeah.
4: Almost like if we just weren't in there, I could enjoy this occasion. <laughs> yeah.
5: Well, the last couple of All-Ireland finals, like I thought last year's All-Ireland final was just Amazing, you know, and absolutely brilliant. The fact that it was two counties for whom the biggest thing that happened in County Mayo last year was them reaching the All Ireland final, and the look, biggest I'm thing sick that and tired of hearing yeah, about this. I'm sick and tired of hearing what? this.
2: Mayo, this and Mayo, as though Mayo were existed on some higher plane of human feeling and emotion. Forget it. Forget Mayo. Yates, W. B. Yates wrote about the Dublin Gaelic football team. Yeah, when he talked about. The blue and the dim and the dark cloths. I've spread these cloths under your feet. What do you think he's
5: talking about? Well, I, I It's ta- a Dublin.
2: It, he's talking about Bernard Brogan It's a then. Dublin football jersey.
5: Okay. I kind of misread that. I, my light. English teacher in, in school also misread that. I've spread
2: these dreams under your feet tread softly for you tread You're my dreams we're talking about on McDevitt's dreams here <laughs> on Sunday, and we're talking about Aiden o'Shea I mean what we discussed uh, on the, what is it twenty two stone you said he was
5: no that's not what i that's not
2: what <laughs> so, <laughs> me, i mean the guy's the guy's frightened he's a terminator yeah you know and he's he's gonna he's going out there and his his objective is to trample all over on McDevitt's dreams, and you know you seem to be egging him on yeah, and all well, I'm, like I'm all glad. I'm saying is whoa there because this little man next to us has
4: feelings too. What yeah. did your... <laughs> Thank you, Ken. <laughs> what did your teacher misrepresent that?
5: What, the dread on my dreams? Yeah. Well, I sure he was mad in love with your, with uh, your, the mod gone there.
2: The blue and the dim and, and uh, the dark clots of night and light and half light. What else can that possibly refer to? I've spread the clots under your feet. It's like what Anthony Moyes was saying the other day about the GA manager putting the strip down for yeah. people to walk on. That's what Mayo are going to be doing to on the McDevitt. way out on Sunday. To Owen McDermott. And, you know, and that's, you know, to me, it's brutish and I'm not a fan. Let's just say Kev Mack's going to come on, do the business again and uh, bye bye, Mayo.
4: Coming up at six o'clock tonight.
3: That's. Yeah. (laughs) They have asked for that, really. you can laugh. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you not to, to stay alive i would right say it to you, folks, I'll say it to oh. what you now. Mean? I'm down to and we'll see you doing down here, you showing me, man.
4: Second captain's football.
2: Well, Owen, we're going to start right down at the grassroots, because we're passionate about grassroots football on this show. And we're going to end up gazing at the stars of the uh, Champions League. Uh, first of all, talking about coaching and uh, the coaching structure around John Delaney says there's 33,000 coaches in did Ireland. He? Yeah, he did. said in a radio interview 33,000. He in the same radio interview, I think it was the Pat Kenny one. Uh, I'm not 100% sure because he did a couple of interviews. Uh there, he mentioned that there was 32,000 Ireland fans at the Spain game. So that gives us a good idea of just how many people 33,000 is. 1,000 more than was. And there was a lot of Ireland fans at that game, if you remember, in in Gdansk. So that's how many coaches there are. That does sound like a high number. It does sound like a lot. Uh I, the question I suppose would be what counts as a coach and, uh, According to UEFA, there are 641 UEFA-qualified you know, uh, pro A&B licence holders in, in Ireland. So we're going to talk to one of those UEFA-qualified coaches, and also uh, Lisa Fallon, and also Antonio Montero is going to come in and talk about the state of coaching here. We'll talk also uh, a little bit about Darren Gibson, who says he's going to come back, which is obviously the occasion for a celebration. Emmett Malone will be in. And then we'll talk a bit about uh, Chelsea losing to Basel.
4: The latest now in the future of the Heineken Cup, which is to say there probably is no future of the Heineken Cup as it stands now. This has been rumbling on for an awful long time but at this stage i think it's gone well past brinksmanship and it seems to be a genuine genuine crisis the english and french clubs leading the revolution here chris hewitt of the independent in london is ready to talk first up liam toland liam there have been mixed messages about this so essentially the long story short for the last couple of years really the english and french clubs have been looking to change how the competition is structured but maybe they want all along it's quite possible that they wanted actually just to break away and have their own tournament it, it seems that the the way it's structured at the moment suits certainly the Irish clubs a lot better than the English so something is going to happen here but there have been mixed messages from the IRB who are the ones who are supposed to be running the entire sport do they actually have any control
6: it's really really confusing and it reminds me a little bit of my time in Kosovo when you're dealing with real issues uh, of real uh, communities etc I just drew down on a page in front of me here all the different protagonists and it's a very complicated web that is developing and certainly Brett Cosper, who's the Australian born in Melbourne, he's the chief executive of the IRB, has added further confusion when he stated that um, that should the RFU and the French uh, Federation, if they were to approve of all of this jostling, that the IRB would be behind this. But he seems to have rolled back when he said that we don't think that this is in the interest of the game in a competition such as that. So when someone as high up as that is within twenty four hours is kind of changing the the um, the position, it, it leads to a huge amount of confusion and for certainly for me with the piece of paper in front of me it's a difficult one to, to catch up with. And like if you the further you dig into what, what is actually at stake here in many ways and, and it seems to me that the structures of the European rugby is at stake qualification is at stake and the financial aspects, you know, the share of all the money and the broadcast rights and your initial question about the, what can the IRB do? Well, if you dig even deeper and you say well, what can the RFU do? Because they have agreements, television agreements with Sky and the ERC which seem to be flying in the face of what the premiership rugby have because they now have agreements with, uh, with BT. So there's a huge amount of confusion in all this.
4: Uh, Chris Hewitt is also with us. Chris, have you been able to make sense of any of the confusion over the last couple of days?
3: Well, um, the International Rugby Board, along with a number of other organizations, have their knickers in the most spectacular twist on this occasion. Liam referred to changing their tune within the space of 24 hours. Actually, Brett Gosper yesterday changed his tune within the space of two interviews, which were about 20 minutes apart. Um, The IRB are hoping this will go away. Uh, the RFU would quite like this to go away, the French Federation would like it to go away, and the RC would like it to go away. What's not going to happen is it goes away because the clubs of abs in England and France have absolutely nailed their colours to this mast. They have far more money behind them than they did in the last boycott year or last boycott season of 98-99, and the whole spirit of this sporting age is one of deregulation. Basically, sport follows the money. At the moment, the Premier Rugby clubs have much more money than they've ever had before, and they're playing hardball because of it.
4: Chris, if sport follows the money, does that mean that the, the, an association, an organisation like the IRB doesn't actually have any real power here? Is there Are there similarities in the early 90s with football in England, where the FA kind of went along with the breakaway of the Premier League, but it was the clubs, it was the money, it was Sky who actually drove that. Is there anything the IRB can do? Uh,
3: probably not. The, the IRB are a slightly peculiar organisation because it's rather a hangover from the old amateur structures pre-1995. When things get really difficult for the IRB, they basically say, we are only the product of our member unions. So at the, the first point of, 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 uh, of conflict, It's for our member unions to sort it out. Out In 98-99, when the English clubs broke away, uh, they were not sanctioned by anyone, as far as I remember. The RFU was fined by the IRB because it permitted its teams or didn't stop its teams playing rebel games against Cardiff and Swansea. But that was a rather different issue, albeit wrapped up in the same thing. It's incredibly complicated, the whole governance of rugby, but Premier Rugby... The English English premiership clubs, and indeed the French, pretty much think that they are on the right side of the law in this. And if they were obstructed from doing this, having gone through the procedures they've gone through, then they could have recourse to European law and bring a restraint of trade action against the governing bodies. And that really would be the nuclear option because the whole game would be in a mess then.
4: Liam, in a way, are we lucky... Well, I was going to say we're lucky that this hasn't come to a head before, but maybe the better question is, was this kind of inevitable? Rugby is still quite a very new sport in professional terms and the structures aren't really probably fully defined as, as outlined by Chris there. So something like this was maybe always going to happen.
6: Well, if you just look at the ERC board of directors, you see, for example, Ireland have Peter Boyle and Philip Brown, both IRFU. It, Italy have something similar. Scotland has something similar. And then you start drifting into Wales, of a slightly different structure. And then in England, they have the massive Rob Andrew is the RFU, and then Peter Wheeler is the Premiership rugby, and France is something similar. So at the grassroots level of French rugby and English rugby, there's huge power and money at stake in what they're trying to do, which is leading to all sorts of. Uh, d- difficulties and you have the president of the LR, LNR, uh, Paul Gauze, saying negotiations were now complete and at the same time there is an invitation um, for five media events at the launch of the Heineken Cup, Challenge, uh, starting in France actually mm. on Monday on the 23rd. Now the first question is are they going to turn up but most importantly are they going to turn up in October the 23rd for some reason? The main uh, junction box meeting on October the 23rd is a few weeks down the line. Why so long? I don't know. But a big question is how many of these guys are actually going to turn up? Because it seems that the, the, the French, not the French Rugby Union or the, or the RFU, but the, the clubs, the heads of the clubs are saying negotiations are simply over.
4: It's all very interesting. It's, it's it, We are at a, a crisis point here and it's quite clear to say. Chris, the, it, is there a sense that the English clubs don't actually... I never really wanted to find a solution you know they suggested this 20 teams there there were these suggestions of, uh, of you know say six of each competition and all the rest were qualifying for maybe a more streamlined competition but really do they just actually want to break away
3: it's an interesting question i I, I think that they 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 have genuine grievances and it's certainly arguable um, that, that, that that they have Uh, legitimate points in terms of the imbalance of financial distribution and the qualifying structure for the current Heineken Cup. Now, they've been banging on about this for years. Um, They did say, as per the agreement, that if they were going to withdraw from the tournament, they had to give two years' notice. They and the French did give two years' notice, and they basically said, we now have two years to come up with something that basically we like a bit more because we feel that the Irish in particular and the Scots and Italians have a very, very easy ride in the Heineken Cup. And we have a really tough one because basically we have to qualify for it and they don't. So they gave the two years notice. Now, the big question here is what's going on in the broadcasting world. It's all wrapped up with broadcasting. Uh, The Premier Clubs say that they told the European Cup organisers don't sign any broadcasting extension, to the contract that we already have, because we will not be a part of it. And they claim that the European Cup organisers went ahead and did precisely that. Now, if that's true, and no one's quite sure of the timing, because there's claim and counterclaim in all of this stuff, no one is quite sure of the timing. But if that is true, then I have to say that the European Cup organisers have played a very, very poor hand, a very high risk hand, thinking that if they signed this deal, they would bully the English and French clubs into staying in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And on that basis, they failed. Because whatever we see this time next year in terms of a Heineken Cup or a European tournament, it ain't going to be looking very much like the one we have now, and it almost certainly won't be organised by the same people.
4: I think almost everybody accepts that, Liam, that the Irish clubs and Irish rugby probably does the best maybe out of all the the nations involved out of the current structure between Rabo and the Heineken Cup if we are accepting that that's not going to remain the same what's the best outcome that the you know how how well can Ireland actually do out of this to to try to maybe limit the damage at this point
6: well i think there's two aspects first thing is to is to actually recognize that um that the, although the Irish are gaining from, uh, as, as what Chris is saying, but they're also bringing an enormous amount to the tournament and they've been very, very successful. And you might argue their success is built on the fact that they can focus their players and their season into the Heineken Cup. But they have brought enormous numbers. You think of all the clashes between Leinster and Munster and Filling of Co Park, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and that. The real question is, at the end of the day, when the amount of teams that are available within whatever it is, is it 20 teams, is it going to be 24 teams or 18 teams, whatever it is, and then you see what sort of section of the pie is available to Ireland, one of the suggestions is that the rabble could gain out of this because it could become the the, the route to qualify for Heineken, um, which would be disastrous for the Italian clubs and maybe for a Connacht that are struggling. So it depends on the process that it, that it comes out. It could be a case that Ireland are allowed only two teams, in which case the Rabo becomes excruciatingly important, or it could be a case that the Rabo itself dictates who gets in. So the top six teams of the Rabo, albeit there could be four Irish and two Welsh, for example, which could exclude Scottish nations and and the Italian nations Mm -hmm. completely. So we don't fully know exactly where it is going, but the threat is that from an Irish point of view, you you would expect that the top two Irish teams would get through, regardless of whatever it would be, be it Rabo, because we've been doing so well in both cases. But if if it comes down to the Rabo, then you most likely would exclude the Italians and possibly the Scots out of it, which then makes the whole ERC concept of a of a of a pan-European competition then a, a threat and almost laughable.
4: All right, Liam, thanks a million for that, and to Chris Hewitt as well of the Independent. In London, I made a passing comparison there, Ken, with this story and the beginning of the Premier League Mm. in the early 90s, where the sky drove that, the money, the clubs drove that. What I said there, I think it is correct, is that the FA kind of had to go along with
2: it. Well, the FA were were part of it. It was the Football League who got, who got kind of screwed over.
4: Okay, right. All so right. it
2: was originally all the Football League and then uh, the, the Premier League was kind of, they broke away. So but did the FA, the F.A. not League. lose,
4: uh, any time you read anything now about the international game not going well for England, well, not anything that's written about it, but sometimes you see references to, well, the start of the Premier League was great and all that, but it was the moment where the FA lost a bit of power. Well, because the Premier
2: League basically was a new thing which hadn't existed before and that uh, that began to become more and more powerful, I think, and now it really is is the most, well, certainly the wealthiest and the most powerful force in the game. But, I mean, the Champions League was the same story, you know. The Champions League effectively began because Silvio Berlusconi wanted to break away from the UEFA competition, you know, the you, the, the UEFA European Cup. And once there was a year in 87 or 88, maybe 89, I'm not sure, Napoli played Real Madrid really early in the competition, Um I can't remember which side got knocked out, but you know, people, were, people were saying, this is unbelievable. We have the, the, you know, two of the best teams in Europe, and one of them is out in the autumn. This is terrible. We can't have this anymore. And people like Berlusconi were thinking, this is particularly terrible because I've got a lot of expensive football players here. I need them to play in as many big games as possible. And the way this competition is structured is, is uh, robbing us. That was his attitude. We're, we, the clubs, are being robbed by this uh, antiquated competition, which isn't, uh, isn't running our interest. So he wanted to set up a breakaway, um, you know, forget UEFA, let's just play in our own Super League. And UEFA had to react to that, really. I said, okay, well, what about we restructure this to give everyone a guaranteed number of games, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and that's effectively what the Champions League owes its oranges to.
5: Uh, yeah, there was one other point that I wanted to raise here, though, Owen. yeah, You did say that you the uh, one solution would be a 20-man team with the top a six. 20, a 20-team 20 20 tournament. 20-team 20 tournament uh, with the top six from the three leagues. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I'm, I'm no Matt's whiz, man, but I, there appears to be a couple <laughs> of holes in his thinking there.
4: Yeah, there's a couple of, uh, couple but two, of missing places. Two if we're you. being honest. Two, yeah. be honest, yeah. two holes which would be filled, and deservedly so, Murph, by the... Amnon winners and the Heineken oh, Cup winners.
5: Geez, he's got the go. has he?
2: The Heineken Cup winners, but the Heineken Cup will
4: be finished. Don't, this is in
2: terms. Restructured. The if, restructure if they restructure Heineken the, Heineken the Heineken Cup,
4: which isn't going to happen now anyway, by the looks what of it. What if the
2: Heineken Cup winners were already one of the. But then
4: another team from their league comes in, as happens at the moment. Uh, this yeah. is why Connacht get in every year. I suppose so. I can see why the English clubs are a little bit annoyed, by the way. Ireland only has four teams and all four are always in the Heineken Cup. <laughs> so they have
5: yet to win a game as a, uh, you know, as a going concern. And the Italian team. Well, you don't like it. To turn off you your it. station. Yeah, well, I've got to be of that opinion. Fine as well, advice,
4: yeah. as coined by Mike Tyson many years ago. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Carol. Thanks very much for listening. I should mention that we will be back with Second Captains live, the third instalment next Wednesday at eleven o'clock. Same time as last night, wasn't it? Yeah, eleven yeah. p.m. Yeah, that'll be on RTÉ Two. We'll be back in uh, the short term with Second Captains football in just a few hours. So thanks for listening.
2: When is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never got home. They never got home. They never got home. Those, those, stuff, boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands.